Thank you, choir, Wesley and Lavanda for leading us in the worship this morning. If you have your Bibles, and I hope that you do, we'll be in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, a very familiar passage of Scripture, verses 1 through 20. The title of the message this morning is The Greatest Gift. Today's a focus on gifts. Tomorrow's an even bigger focus on gifts, and think about it. From a secular standpoint, tomorrow's all about gifts. But from a Christian standpoint, tomorrow's about all about the greatest gift. Amen? Amen. Today's a special day. It's Christmas Eve. This is a, a, a good day. A lot of people are getting together today, this afternoon, this evening. A lot of family <coughs> gatherings occur on Christmas Eve. Uh, like Brother Wesley said, uh, you know, if you hacking squeeze in there, come back at 5 o'clock, just take a break from, from all your festivities, come on back at 5 o'clock and spend some time with us evening, and then you can finish on in. I, I'm pretty sure nobody has to work tomorrow, so you can stay up late tonight if you want to, except for the little ones. They can't stay up late, right? they got to get them on the bed. All right. It's Christmas Eve. It's the day that we come together to worship and place a, a special emphasis today on the birth of Jesus Christ. Man, every day that we come together Every day that we come into God's house is a special day, but today's a day that we come together with a focus on Jesus Christ, especially the birth of Jesus Christ, the unconditional love that God has for us. And, you know, every Sunday and every day that we talk, every, every day that we, we open up God's Word, it's all focused on Jesus. The, birth, uh, the, the Bible is strictly focused on the Word of God. It's focused on Jesus Christ. When you think about it, the Bible is from Genesis to Revelation is a story that God is telling. It's a story about God with, with the main character is Jesus Christ. The Old Testament, New Testament, it's all the same. But this particular passage is strictly the focus on the birth of Jesus Christ. And we come together for that this morning. Today's a special day. We focus on that passage. It specifically talks about the arrival of God in this world through his son, Jesus Christ. That's God in, in the flesh when God comes in through Jesus Christ into our our presence. For the past several weeks, all through December, we've been studying the scripture and all the events that lead up to the birth of Jesus Christ. We talked about, we started in the Old Testament talking about the prophecies where hundreds of years before it actually took place, the prophets started talking about it, telling you exactly what was going to take place. The prophets detailed out how every step was going to take place. When you look at it, it wasn't just them saying, hey, there's the Messiah's coming. They specifically laid out the plan. They specifically laid out the details that was going to take place when the Messiah was going to come, how he was going to come. And you're talking about 400 plus years before it actually took place. We looked at the Old Testament. We studied that from the prophets. Then we moved into some of the, the New Testament scriptures and examined all the moving parts. You think about a preparation and planning. You think about the preparation and the planning that you have done for this evening's family gathering, for tomorrow's family gatherings, for Christmas in general. Think about all the planning that has taken place from a human standpoint to get ready for this evening. And I could just ask you a few things. Have y'all been cooking anything? Hmm? Why, why does my mind always go back to that? It seems like this is a good place to be for that. But when you think about it, look at all the planning. You know, Patty and I spent some time yesterday making what? Cookies. You know what I'm saying? And that's part of things that you do. And, and so it was kind of a, a, a weakness for us yesterday as she and I were doing that. And that used to be a she and I and children and grandchildren. That's a lot of fun when they do that together. But it was just me and her yesterday. So I got to drizzle and I got to sprinkle and all that kind of things that were, were fun. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Now comes the best part is for dipping them babies in what? 
milk, coffee, whatever you want to dip it in. But anyhow, all those are things that, that we, you know, moving parts of the planning. When you think about all the planning that we have done, and you think about all the planning that God did, you know, God is omnipotent. He's omnipresent. He speaks it, and it, it's in existence. So you said, well, it's not really hard work for him. There was a lot of planning that took place in, in the birth of Jesus Christ. And this morning, we're going to look at that. We're going to open up God's Word together to the Gospel of Luke and see how Luke records the story about the birth of Jesus. Now, you know that last week I told you how meticulous Luke was about recording the, the writings about Jesus. He was very meticulous because he was preserving that information so that we would have it in, in years to come you know, for 2023 and beyond. And we want to look at how Luke records it because there's different versions. But if you are able, would you stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word this morning as we open it up together? Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 1, going through 20, says this. Now, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone was on their way to register for the census, each to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee because he was to the city of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was betrothed to him and was with child. While they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for him in the inn. In the same region there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over the flock by night. And the angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people." For today in the city of David there has been a born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find this baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. When the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So they they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. When they had seen him, they made known the statement which had been told to them about this child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told to them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. The shepherds went back glorifying and praising God for all that they heard and seen just as it had been told to them. Pray with me, please. Father God, I just pray, Father, and I ask that you bless the reading of your word. God, I just ask that you cleanse me of every sin, cleanse me of every impurity. Father, I ask that you hide your servant behind the cross and allow me to deliver your message to your people. These things I ask in your son's precious and holy name. Amen. You may be seated. Our passage of Scripture this morning is the climax of the Christmas story. We've been talking about the Christmas story and all the events that have taken place up to the Christmas story. And this is where it all comes together. 
This is the pinnacle point of the Christmas story. It's the climax of it. It's where all the events have taken place leading up to this point are fulfilled with the arrival of Jesus Christ in the form of an infant child. It all comes together here. I want to look at some different things about this passage. I know that 20 verses, a lot of scriptures, a lot of different verses of scripture. And, and this is going to be, we're going to open it up. And we're going to see it because this is a familiar passage. You, you've heard this in Christmas stories. You hear it again tonight, but you've heard it a lot over your lifetime. But this is very important that we look at how God orchestrated this whole thing from the beginning to the end. When you look at Luke's gospel and you look at chapter two, Luke opened up chapter two by giving us a glimpse of a man who thought that he was in control of every single thing on this planet. He talks about a man that, and a timeline and a man who thought he was calling all the shots. He thought he was in control of everything, every person, everything that took place, he was in control of it. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. Caesar Augustus was a ruler of the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire was powerful. It was, a, it was a, a, an, an evil force to some degree, and some people were made to do things that they didn't want to do. The Roman government forced them to do things, and Caesar Augustus was behind every bit of it. Most everything that he did was for his own benefit. We look at now, oh, you don't know the exact day or the time. When we look at the, the time of Jesus Christ's birth, we don't know the exact day of time when he was born, but the scriptures tell us, and when we're looking at Luke, Luke was very meticulous about the way he recorded this. He recorded during the time when Caesar Augustus was a ruler of the Roman Empire. He also makes mention of it, a time when Quirinius was the governor during this particular time. So it brings very close to the actual day of Jesus' birth. But we don't know the exact time. But the way Luke records it, we know the period of time, and it's very close. Now let me tell you something. The day and the date of Jesus' birth is not important. Amen? The reason that he was born is what's important. It doesn't matter the day or the date or when it was, what year it was. The reason he was born, the arrival is what was important. Now, nowhere in the Bible does it say that Jesus was born on December 25th. That's a day that we celebrate it. That's a day that we recognize it. There's nothing wrong with that because we set aside a day every year to recognize that. But it's not specific that it's the 25th. But what matters is that he came to this world. What matters is that he was born in a, a manger just like prophecy said. What matters is that he came in the form of an infant baby. What matters is that he was born to a, a virgin. These are all things that, that are important to us. And the thing is, it's, it's just as important that Jesus came as in form of a baby, because that's what it was said. But he came in the form of a baby for the purpose of growing into adulthood, for the purpose of walking the way God wanted him to walk, for the purpose of doing miracles while he was here, for the purpose of giving us an example of the things that we should do and helping us navigate through the world, for the purpose of going all the way to the cross to be the sacrificial lamb for the sins of this world so that all people could have eternal life with Jesus in heaven. Amen? That's the reason he came. It all starts at that baby. It all starts at the birth in the manger. And it all started way before that in preparation. But that's the whole reason this whole thing we're celebrating is because of the birth of Jesus Christ and where he's going to go from the birth to the grave and then out into resurrection. It's all important. Now, we know from... That God will use people for his mission and his purpose. And we talked about that. And, and even in the evening service, we talked about being used by God. And I made some comments about it uh, a week or so ago about, you know, people don't like to be used by other people. 
But the thing is, when God uses it's not from a negative standpoint, it's from a positive standpoint. We know that God will use people who surrender to Him. We know that God will use people who do total surrender to Him. We know that God will use people who are obedient to what He calls them to do, where He wants them to go. We know that that's a, a key, important thing of being a Christian. We know that God will use people who, who want to be used in a manner that are beneficial. Here, let's look at this. God used Abraham. He used Moses. He used all the prophets. He used the disciples. He used Paul, just to mention a few of people throughout the Bible. You can read and study the Bible and see how God is using people for his mission and for his purpose to accomplish what he wants them to do and what he wants to get done. He used people all throughout the purpose. Now, God will use you just the same if you let him. He'll use you for his mission and for his purpose if you let him. No matter what your situation is, no matter where you are in an educational level, no matter where you are in the socioeconomic ladder, so to speak, from a human standpoint, all you got to do is be receptive to the word of God. All you got to do is be willing to be used by God, and he'll use you. Let's look a little bit further. Caesar Augustus was simply a man that God used for his plan. You think about it. He thought he was in control. He thought he was calling the shots, but God used him when he had no clue that he was going to be used by God for a specific purpose. He was simply a tool that God used in his plan. He was simply a piece of the puzzle that God was putting all together. The Bible says, and you look a little bit further, the Bible says Augustus signed a tax bill that required all Jewish male citizens to return to the city of their father. It says a decree, which is a tax bill. You think about taxes. You think about modern-day taxes. You think about sometimes they're pretty stressful. They're pretty strapful. They, uh, they, they kind of hit you where you really don't expect it. But the same thing is Caesar issues this tax bill where every person was supposed to go and, and list their name, list their family members, list their property, everything they owned, all this together so that they could be taxed in order for Augustus to get more money for his lifestyle, more money for his army, more money so that he could maintain control, more money so that he could, he could uh, suppress people just the way he had been doing it. The tax bill was simply to generate money for Caesar's his lifestyle and his army. Now look at him. God used Caesar to move Joseph and Mary, and, and different ones, we, Patty and I are studying this this week, 80, 90, 100 miles from Jerusalem to Bethlehem. You think about it. Some said 80, some said 90, some said 100. But they moved. God used this tax bill to move Joseph and Mary from Jerusalem to Bethlehem. Now, look at this. Everybody got a GPS? Y'all got smartphones? Except for Rodney? <laughs> you think about these, these GPS. You put in an address in your GPS, and you go from my location to, to another location. How many different routes does it give you to choose from? One, two, three. You get multiple choices for the routes, right? And you just pick one. Some are faster, some are slower, some are longer, some have uh, uh, obstacles and things like that. But you get some different choices. And when I look at with the studying of this about Joseph marrying the route that they took, um, you know, Joseph may have been thinking about some different things. He might have been thinking about the, the route that they were going to take. And this is strictly Kerry, you know, thinking about this. But he might have thought about, do we take the main road? Do we take, you know, that shortcut that we've always taken before? Do we take a, a different issue? Or is it going to be rough terrain? There's going to be uh, hazards along the way. Whether, whether, whatever the path is, there's going to be some trouble. And guess what? I've got to take my full-term pregnant wife along with me. I got to be thinking about that as well, right? Y'all don't think about that. You need a smooth ride for that one, right? 
We needed something besides a donkey. We needed a, a buggy or something to go with that. Scripture is not completely clear whether or not a man had to bring his family to be registered. But we do know that the man had to go. We don't, we don't really know if, if the, the family had to go, but the man had to go. He had to register his family. He had to register himself. He had to register his family. Mary's travel with Joseph to Bethlehem was part of God's plan because the Messiah had to be born in Bethlehem. We know that. We know that Mary was going to have this child. We know she was close to full-term pregnancy. We know that, that Joseph didn't want to leave her by herself because the child was going to be born while he was gone. We know that the, the prophecy said the child had to be born in, in Bethlehem. I have no doubt that even without the so-called tax bill, you know, when I think about it, you know, the tax bill um, forced them to go. But I know that, that even without this tax bill, I mean, Gabriel had already presented himself to, to Mary. He'd already told Mary what was going to take place. Mary's response, which is one of the most important things, was, Yes, Lord, I'm your servant. I'll do it just as you said. You know, Gabriel already, had already been to uh, Joseph, and he said, Joseph, don't worry about taking Mary for your wife, because what's conceived inside of her is of the Holy Spirit. You know, he'd already talked, and I can only imagine that if Gabriel had to come back to Joseph and Mary and said, Hey, I need you to go to Bethlehem, just strictly as that. I'm sure that they would have packed their bags and went to Bethlehem just like he told them. Amen. I don't doubt that there would have been any difference in that the tax bill brought them all together. But there's a lot of factors that needed to line in this journey. Now, God is still working when you look at this. And these are factors that are in the prophecy. When you look at the Old Testament prophecy, one, Bethlehem had needed to be crowded. There needed to be an overwhelming amount of people in Bethlehem when they arrived because of the position and where he was going to be born. When you think about Bethlehem, you know, the, all the different places that he could have been, whether it was uh, the inns or spare rooms or people's houses or Motel 6 or 7 or 8, whatever it was, all these places had to be full when they got there. God had a plan that his son was going to be born in a humble environment. Not with any of the luxuries that go along with the birth. Not with any, any, any of these fancy items. He would be born without any of the worldly elements necessary for a, a, a quality birth to be born. He wasn't going to have any safe issues around him. You know, when I look at it, there were no doctors. There were no nurses. There were no midwives. There were no clean delivery rooms. There were no waiting rooms for the family to be hanging out in, you know, for this baby to be born. This is strictly going to be a humble environment that was going to take place. God was in complete control of this journey from the time the prophets started talking about it in the Old Testament all the way through the birth, all the way through Jesus' life, all the way to Jesus Christ ascends back to heaven in the book of Acts. Amen? God's in control from this thing from start to finish. Throughout the Bible, God has made some distinct promises about the Savior of the world. And these are some things that I felt were very important. God has made some promises, and you know that we lean on the promises of God's Word. We lean on the fact that He's spoken and that He's told us things that are going to take place, and the fact all these things have come to fulfillment, and that's what gives us confidence that the things are going to take place in the future. We look at some important facts that God gives us about the Savior of the world. They describe the characteristics of Jesus, and I'm going to share a few things with you about that, but they're all about the character and the characteristics of Jesus Christ. When you look in the Bible, it says that Jesus would be a human being, not an angel. He would be a human being. He would have flesh and bone. He would have lifeblood flowing through his body. He would bleed when he was cut. 
He would, be, he would feel pain when it, was, when it was injured. You think about it, he would be a human being and not an angel. He would be a Jew and not a Gentile. This is all part of the, the history and all of part of the, what God said about him. He would be of the tribe of Judah. He would be from David's family lineage. He would be born of a virgin. These are all prophecy things that God has talked about, all the things that he's told us about Jesus Christ and all the characteristics. He said he would be born in Bethlehem, and mainly and most importantly, he would come as the Savior of the world, and he would die for not just a select group of people, but he would die for all people. Amen? That's what makes Christmas so important. All these events were just like God promised them. Every single detail from Gabriel speaking to Zechariah in the temple. You know, from even before he presented to, to Mary when Gabriel was talking to Zechariah in the temple. Every single detail that was lining up with Jesus Christ and the ministry of Jesus Christ and his walk, his birth, uh, his resurrection. All these things are lining up just as God had planned them. Isn't it amazing that when God arranges things, how it works out perfectly? You know, when God's in charge, when we let, when we step back, you know, because we can do a lot of things on our own. We think we can anyhow, right? Sometimes we mess those things up, and I've been known to do that myself, okay? So I'm, I'm human too. But let, it's amazing how when we step back and we let God orchestrate it, and we let God lead us, and we let him walk us through it, how it always turns out perfectly. Isn't that amazing? And Patty's smiling because she knows me better than y'all do, all right? The scene of the manger in Bethlehem, the place where Jesus was born, wasn't very impressive. I mean, if you're a farmer, you know what I'm talking about now. We're talking about the scene of the manger, the scene of, of a bunch of smelly animals wasn't very impressive. But by coming into this world, by coming into this humble environment, he, he uh, declared himself available to anybody who would come to him. And Jesus didn't come into no palace. He didn't come into royalty. Even though he is royalty in himself, even though he's the king of all kings, he came for the purpose of being a humble servant. 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9 says this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Jesus Christ traded places with us. Not that he traded deity to us, but he traded places with us so that we could, he could come here so that we could go there. That's the whole reason he did it. I mean, he did it for us. He did the whole thing for us. The arrival, arrival of Jesus in a humble environment is probably not what the majority of the people were expecting because they had been waiting hundreds of years for him to come. But you think about it, the majority of people had no clue what was going to take place. It's the minority of people who had studied the Scripture, who studied the Old Testament, who knew what was going to take place, who felt confident that the Messiah would one day come to most of the world. Caesar Augustus was their God, and I used a little g when I wrote that down because that's what they thought. They thought Caesar was the God. He was in control of everything. The majority of the word, he made all the decisions. He called all the shots. Everything that they did, everything they had was revolved around him. He was, life was with the Roman government, and life was with the Roman Empire for those people. God knew what they wanted, and he knew what they needed, just like today. Man, God knows what we want. He knows what our heart's desires are, but he also knows what we need. And this is what he gave them. God sent a leader that would get rid of the major problem in this world. And that major problem is still today. 
That major problem is sin. That's the major problem in the world. That's the one thing that God addressed. He didn't address the, the other issues. He addressed the main problem. He sent something and a leader to eliminate sin and give us an alternative to, to a life of sin. While we don't know exactly the time of birth of Jesus Christ, when we look at this, it appears that the majority of the world was sleeping because it said that the angels come to the shepherds by night. And that could have been early night, late night, not sure, but it's a good possibility that the majority of the world was sleeping. The Bible states that the first announcement for the birth of the Messiah was given to angel, by the angel of the Lord to lowly shepherds tending their sheep in the fields, not in town, uh, not where there's a lot of people, but just to these shepherds. You've got to figure a handful of shepherds out there watching the sheep, uh, taking turns uh, sleeping. You know, two or three probably stayed awake all night because they had to make sure that they prepared and defended the sheep from all the, the things that were taking place. But when you look at shepherds, and this is very important, and we've talked, uh, talked about the different uh, verses of Scripture that talk about shepherds, but when you look at shepherds, and I'll give you some history, in first century, they were, uh, basically shepherds didn't have a lot of value. Their testimony didn't have a lot of value. They couldn't testify in courts and things like that because their testimony didn't have a lot of value. The only value shepherds has was to the sheep owner. He valued them to a certain degree, but yet they still didn't have a lot of value in society. Shepherds were essentially an outcast in Israel. Their work kept them uh, out in the fields for weeks and uh, on, t- on end. They were ceremonially unclean. They couldn't come into the temple because they were out in the fields. They had to manage these sheep outside the gates of the city. They were outside. They had no protection. They couldn't come in from different times. And so they were ceremonial unclean. Nobody considered shepherds to be important except the sheep owner, when it, except for when it comes to Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ's announcement was given, when the birth announcement was given, it wasn't given to anybody else other than shepherds to start with. They got the first word. Mary got the first announcement about the fact that she was going to be pregnant that she was going to give birth to Jesus Christ. But when this child is born, the angels tell the shepherds that the, that the baby has been born. Other than the animals and, and Joseph and Mary, that's the only people that knew it. Shepherds were required to take care of the, the sheep outside the gates, and the only reason they had any significance in society is because they took care of the lambs that were going to be used for the sacrifices. That's where their, their value did come in. They took care of the lambs. The work of the shepherd was difficult, they had to sleep in shifts. Uh, shepherds were sheep. Here's something that, that the Bible talks about. Sheep are not necessarily smart animals, and they have to be, have, have to be guided a lot. They like to wander away. And they're not smart animals. I'm not relating that to Jesus Christ calling his people sheep, not being smart animals. But you think about people. We have a tendency to wander away sometimes. Amen. It tends to be not to stay focused on the things and, and wander away. You might wonder why Jesus referred to people as sheep. Well, let's look at this. Jesus told Peter to what? Feed my sheep. He told Peter to feed my sheep, to take care of my sheep, to lead my sheep, to make sure my sheep know that I am their shepherd. There's a complete difference. That's what he's talking about. Make sure they know that I'm their shepherd. Shepherds had to fend off predators such as wolves, bears, and lions. They had to to, uh, to take care of and stay awake all night. Most likely they would take turns sleeping in shifts. And in case something happened that would threaten the safety of the flock, they had to be ready and on guard. When you think about it, Jesus Christ is the shepherd of the flock. 
He takes care of us. He watches. He stays awake all night. He guides us. He protects us. He, he puts a shield around us when we need it, and he's there for us when we need it. His kingdom is made up of all classes and all types of people, but by including shepherds in the Christmas story, this tells us that Jesus Christ came for all people. God does not only call the rich and the elite. He calls the lowly and the humble. I and mean, you think about it. Who did he choose to be the mother of Jesus Christ? A poor, young, teenage girl. Not somebody that stood out in history, but, but somebody who was, was just as meek and, and mild as anybody could be. Jesus came for both the good, as the good shepherd and the Lamb of God. He sat, was sacrificed for the sins of the world. Now, last thing, we're going to wrap it up with this. It's all about response. The response is, is given. When you think about the response, we looked at, at Zachariah's response. We look at what happened as a result of his response. We look at Elizabeth's response and when she found out she was going to be pregnant and have a child. We look at Mary's response. We look at Joseph's response. And I want to look at some things that are response. In this passage of Scripture, there's a lot of responses that take place as well. And let's look at them together. Other than hearing the Word of God, other than hearing the good news of God, the most important thing we can do is respond to it. Amen? You've got to respond to it. That's the most important thing we do. We know the response of Mary and Joseph. We know uh, that he put a difficult situation in front of them. We know the response that the angels made uh, about the birth of the Lord. We know the response that the shepherds made uh, when they heard the news of the Messiah. And on each occasion, the Bible says that they rejoiced. They went away rejoicing. The angels went away rejoicing. The shepherds went away rejoicing. On each occasion, they rejoiced. The Bible says the shepherds left the scene of the manger, praising God for all that they had seen and all that they had heard. I mean, let me ask you a question, church. Do we praise God for all that we've seen and all that we've heard about the birth of Jesus Christ? And we praise God in our prayer time because of the praises that he's given us. Amen? But do we praise him and we sing rejoice and we, we just ex- get ecstatic about the birth of Jesus Christ? That's what, that's what we're going to do this evening, Brother Wesley. We're going to sing praises about it and, and about everything that we've seen and heard. The Christmas story is a different story than you can ever imagine. It's a story of when a holy God came to us when we poss- couldn't possibly get back to him. It's a story about Jesus Christ who came to us in human flesh. John 1.14 says this. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glory as the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. It's a story about how he walked in our shoes and became a servant. He humbled himself to the point of death and even death on the cross. It's a story of the Holy Spirit, how the Holy Spirit now lives in the lives of each of us. It's a story of God, how he came down a ladder that we couldn't climb. He met us where we needed to be met. It's a radical, unique, and hard-to-believe story. It's a story about how God himself came, not a prophet, not another earthly king, not some kind of religious leader, but God himself came to visit us. And he came in the form of an infant baby, not a king. He came in the form of an infant baby, not a king, but an infant in a manger. He had no subjects bowing down before him. He had all he had was the smell of animals all around him. He was born not to the powerful and the elite, but to a teenage mother who had not been with a man. It's a story. It's the Christmas story. It's a story of incredible. It's so incredible that you wonder how in the world anyone could have made it up, and that's just the point. You can't make up this kind of story. 
The God of the Bible who wrote the Christmas story wrote it all across eternity. And we get to be part of it. Just like the shepherds who kneeled before the baby at the manger of Bethlehem, we get to rightly kneel before the Savior of the world when we come before him. Church, today's a special day. It's Christmas Eve. It's a special day. It's a day that a lot of people come to church only on two, two or three times a year. But it's a special day when we come together because it's Christmas Eve. It is a day that we get to reflect on the overwhelming amount of love that God has for his people. And it's an overwhelming amount. When you think about the birth of Jesus Christ, God had to love us an overwhelming amount for him to go through all he went through to make sure that we had eternal life with him in heaven. Amen. God loves us so much that he sent his only son to die for us. John 3.16 says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That's how much God loves us. Ephesians 2.8 says this, By grace you've been saved through, not of, through faith, not of yourself. It's a gift of God. Man is a sinner. And we, had, we need a savior. We needed someone to step in and help us out because we couldn't do it on our own. Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Sin is a, a barrier between us and God. It creates a separation between us. And we can't get to him and he can't get to us. There had to be a solution for it, and that solution was Jesus Christ. He sent Jesus to this earth for one purpose, and that purpose was to die on the cross. There's a lot of things that took place while he was here, but his purpose was to go to the cross and be the sacrificial lamb for the sins of all people, and that's what he did. Romans 10, 13 says this, Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whoever doesn't leave anybody out, man, that's one of the best things in the, about the Bible. That's one of the best things about Jesus Christ is that he came for all people. He didn't just come for the church-going people. He didn't just come for religious people. He didn't just come for a certain group or ethnicity or, or color or skin. He didn't come for that. The Bible says he came for all people, all people who trust in him, turn their life over to him. It's what he did. Now, let me tell you something. I tell you this every week, and I'm going to tell you that next week too. But when our time on this earth is over, we're going to spend eternity in one of two places, and eternity is too long to be wrong. You know, I've, I've looked at the scripture. I've looked at the word. I know it, I know the end of the book. I know how it happens, but I know that eternity is too long to be wrong. Maybe today you want to make sure and know without a shadow of a doubt that you're going to spend eternity in heaven with our Father and with the Lord and with the Holy Spirit. Romans 10, 9 says this. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's just that simple. God didn't make it hard. And he didn't make it complicated. He didn't say you've got to go through a bunch of classes and you've got to study a certain amount of scripture. You've got to memorize a bunch of verses. He didn't say all that if you want to be saved. That's not what he said. All those things come when you want to be obedient. But let me tell you something. That's not a prerequisite for, for being a believer. The prerequisite is strictly being surrender your life to him and be obedient to following him and letting him be the Lord of your life. Amen. And he says in the Bible, if you turn your life over to him, he's just, he'll come in. It's instantly. He moves inside of your heart. He lives for you. Maybe today you want to make sure in a moment we're going to have a hymn of invitation. If you want to know more about this Jesus or if you want to turn your life over to Jesus, there's no better time than today. Today's the best day ever. It's Christmas Eve. We celebrate that, uh, a new believer and we also celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ at the same time. Maybe there's others. You know, maybe, maybe this is uh, 2023 hadn't been quite the year you wanted it to be. And you want to get a, a fresh start coming into the new year and you want to rededicate your life. There's nothing wrong with rededication. I mean, it, it's, a, it's a, a regular event. It needs to be anyhow. We need to be rededicating our life to Jesus every day because sometimes we're, we're not quite in the, the same uh, level that we should be. 
the altar is open for you. <clears throat> if you have a prayer need, if you want to come down and pray at the altar, the altar is open for you. Our deacons would love to pray with you. Whatever the, the issue or whatever the need is, whatever is on your heart, on your mind, this time is set aside for you. You know, our invitation is not just the, the conclusion of the service. It's part of the service. It's a time when the Holy Spirit just hovers around and he waits for you to invite him in and you have a communication with him. It's a vertical relationship and that's the thing that's going to take place right now. Let the, let the power of the Holy Spirit and let God talk with you and you talk with him, whatever it needs to be. If you need your head down, your eyes closed, or if you need them up, praise it. It doesn't matter to me, but you make sure that this time is between you and the Holy Spirit and the Father. Father God, I just come before you this, this morning. God, I just thank you for the birth of Jesus Christ. What an awesome day it is. God, what just a, just a love. I can't fathom the amount of love that you have for us. God, the fact that you love us so much that you would send your son out of heaven. God, you could have just swept the, wiped the slate clean and started over, but that's not what you did. God, you loved us so much that you sent Jesus out of heaven into this earth. God, as a form of a baby, uh, to grow into adulthood. God, to to witness, to teach, to, to perform miracles, to touch lives, to change lives, and God, to ultimately go to the cross to sacrifice for the sins of the world. And God, I just I pray, and I thank you for that. And God, I just pray if there's one person, the sound of my voice, that doesn't know you as personal Lord and Savior, God, I just pray that this would be the day that they would turn it all over to you. God, we just lift it up to you. We sing praises to you this morning. We thank you for your love, and we thank you for Jesus. These things I ask in your son's precious and holy name. Amen.